God bless you. And on behalf of World Harvest Ministries, I'd like to welcome you and thank you so much for tuning in. In today's message, Pastor Jeremy speaks on Genesis 24 and how one of Abraham's last requests to his servant Eliezer was that Isaac would not marry any of the Canaanites. You see, the message of today is that we would not mingle and join in with the Canaanites and drive them out and stay pure in our faith. Now, we hope this word awakens you and deepens your understanding in God's word. Now, let's tune in to today's message. Genesis chapter 24, we're just going to be reading three verses. And going in line with what, uh, and I'm just going to teach today. I, of course, I am a preacher at heart, but I think I, I must teach. These are not just practical principles, but they are prophetic. As, as you know, Brother Marty, Brother Fernando have stated, the, the stories that you see in the Word of God really are telling us something about the beginning, telling us something about what happened there and about what is going to come. So I want to use that same principle today to bring out some truth concerning um, the coming of the Lord, but more specifically about... Um, about the, the, the wickedness that, that we are seeing today. And in this story, what we're going to see and what I pray that I can bring out is how that story is, is, a, is, is a picture of something that we are living today. And so if you bear with me, there's some truths that, that I want to bring out that not only apply to to this world that we live in, but it applies to the struggles and the battles that we have inside of our lives. And the word of God says in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, reading from Genesis chapter 24, verse 1 to verse 3. And the word of the Lord says, And Abraham was old, and the Bible adds, and well stricken in age. And the Lord had blessed Abraham. I want you to see what he adds. It says, had blessed Abraham in all things, in all things. And we'll get a little bit of what that means. And Abraham said unto his eldest servant of his house that ruled over all that he had. He said, put, I pray thee, thy hand under my thigh. And I will make thee swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of the earth. And this is the, the theme of this teaching today. That thou shalt not take a wife unto my son of the daughters of the Canaanites. And I believe the Holy Spirit added this to tell us something that we're going to get into. Among whom... I dwell. Thou shalt not take a wife unto my son of the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell. 
Father, we just want to thank you, Lord. We have just, for this past hour, just been soaking in in your presence, Lord, as you have been touching lives, filling young people with the Holy Spirit, with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, mending hearts. And I thank you, God, for what you are doing, for it is a sign that you are with us, God. And Father, now I pray that in these few moments that you would give me the unction, the anointing, Lord, to speak and teach your word and that it would be understood that I will do no violence to your word, God, and that you would anoint the ears that are under our voice, God, to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to us today. I thank you for your precious word. I thank you for your precious Holy Spirit. I thank you for your precious son, Jesus Christ. And I thank you, Father, Lord, for it is your love, God, that, that Lord, that, that for God so loved the world, God the Father so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that who shall ever believe it and trust in him shall not perish but have everlasting life, Lord. And we thank you in Jesus' name. And everybody says amen and amen. This was a, a time, chapter 24, the next chapter is 25. We, chapter 25 really speaks about the death of Abraham. So what we read right now are really Abraham living in his last days. The Bible is specific in telling us that Abraham was old and he was well stricken in age. In other words, Abraham understood that he was at the end of his life. Abraham understood that, 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 he was, that death was near that his time on this earth was near. He knew it. And what's interesting about this is that what you will see in this story is what I call typologies or symbolic. When, I, when we see Abraham, I see a type of the father. We understand that we are living in these last days where time shall be no more. And we see here that Abraham understood this and and the bible adds and says that he was blessed in all things it's the only time that it says that he was blessed in all things why was he blessed in all things it wasn't all the herd that he had it wasn't all the silver and the gold that he had possessed he was already a rich man but he had blessed in all things because the promised son Isaac had already come which completed everything that God had promised that he would bring through Abraham the Bible says he was blessed in all things and what's interesting is that he was blessed in all things. He had the silver, the gold, the promised son had already come. Yet what we learn from this story and what the Holy Spirit was showing me is that in spite of all of this, there was a concern in his life. There was an urgency that, that was in his, in his heart. Something that even though his servant who he was entrusted of all things, even though we know that if Abraham was to die, that his servant would choose the next wife. But there was a concern in his urgent and an urgency. And it wasn't that he wasn't going to get a bride. The concern was very specific. And that's what I want to deal with today. He said he brought his servant in. And it was so serious what was going to take place that he brought his servant in and he said, 
we're going to make an oath and you're going to put your hand under my thigh and I'm going to make you promise me something. And the promise and the oath that you're going to give me is that you will find a bride for my son Isaac and this bride will not be from the Canaanite women. And then he adds this, in whom I dwell with. I want you to think about this for a moment. In the last days of Abraham's life, you see, Abraham was too old to move, to, to, go, and to go into his household and go. He was too old, so he entrusted his servant, a type of the Holy Spirit. God has entrusted the Holy Spirit to prepare a bride for the coming, for the prepare a bride for Jesus Christ, our heavenly Isaac. And he brings his servant in. And he says, you make me a promise that you will not find a wife from the Canaanite woman. He could have just left it there. But the Holy Spirit had him add, in whom I dwell amongst. The Bible says, among whom I dwell. And this begs the question. Abraham in his last days found himself living and dwelling among Canaanites. This is a picture that God has given us about what and where we're at in this hour. Abraham was at the end of his life. We are living at the end of this, what we call time and space. And he found himself living amongst Canaanites. But what caused him to say, do not bring and take a bride from the Canaanites? How bad, how devious, how immoral was the life of the Canaanites? They were idol worshipers. They were people who, 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 uh, create, who, who, who did lewd acts, who, who were immoral. They were, they, were, they, were, they were a people that Abraham got an opportunity to live amongst them and see the lifestyle that they lived. How horrible was it? How horrible that it took Abraham to say, you know what? Do not find the bride amongst the Canaanites for my son. And today for a few moments, I want to deal with this because this is so powerful to me. That Abraham was so direct. He said, you make sure you go to my kindred and find among them a wife, a bride for my son, but not from these Canaanite women. So we must go to the beginning. Who are these Canaanites? We understand when we read the Bible that the, Can the Canaanites became a thorn to the people of God. The Canaanites was not a specific ethnicity. They were a mixture of people who became a thorn, who became a scourge to the people of God. And there's so many times and many ways that I can go. The Canaanites represents the, the, the Canaanites that we deal with within our hearts. Things of the flesh that we still cleave on to. Things of the flesh that we think because God delivered me from this and that and we think it's over and we forget that there's still other parts that Canaanites have, have, have conquered inside of us that we, need to, that we need to drive out. 
Who were these Canaanites? Why did Abraham speak this way above of them? We get an insight about this. I want you to go with me to chapter 9 of the book of Genesis. The issue with Abraham wasn't if there would be a bride for his son. The issue was who would be the bride of his son. We know that God is coming for a church. We know that God is coming for a bride. But he's very specific in whom this bride must be. The Bible talks about that he's coming for a bride without spots and without blemish. I want to take you back to the beginning because it's so important. This is the birth of these Canaanites. And we're going to discover some things that they did that were so evil that God would have to curse these people. We understand that there is a link between Noah. I've, I've always fascinated by this verse that, 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 that God was, was it regretted him to, to, make, to have made man for man's thoughts were to do evil in the times of Noah continually. But the Bible says in chapter 6 verse 8 of Genesis, it says, but Noah found grace in the eyes of God. Notice it didn't say, but Noah and his sons. It just simply said, but Noah found grace in the eyes of God. And we all know the story that Noah and his three sons, his wife and his, and his three, and his three, uh, and their three, uh, 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 her sons and their wives and his wife, a total of eight people went into the ark. And the Bible said that the Lord brought a flood that destroyed but one thing that we have to understand is that the flood was a judgment, was the wrath of God that destroyed sinful men. But what it did not do is that it did not destroy sin. Are you following me what I'm telling you? It destroyed sinful men, but it did not destroy sin. And so what we're going to learn today is that Noah and his three sons, he had three sons. One was Japheth, Ham, and Shem. These three men, God had called Abraham in chapter 9. He says, go and, and, and replenish the earth and be fruitful and multiply. Doesn't this sound familiar? This is the exact, exact same uh, uh, commandment that he gave Adam in the beginning. He said, go and multiply, go and be fruitful, go and replenish the earth. Now we understand, as, uh, as, as Brother Fernando brought it out, Brother Marty, that sin existed prior to Adam. Sin already existed in eternity. The Bible just tells us that sin entered through Adam. So we know that sin was there, but yet God made the, the Garden of Eden perfect. He allowed them to multiply, to be fruitful. But we understand that sin entered through this serpent who, who spoke a lie to Eve. And Eve believed that lie. And, and that's why that was in the mess. In 10 generations, from Adam to Noah, God, it was so bad and so wicked that God had to destroy the world of that time. And it's like God takes us to the beginning and it's like he gives Noah a fresh start. He says, listen, I've pretty much replenished the earth. Go back, be fruitful, 
multiply. But what happened? One of his sons, by the name of Ham, who lived in the world before the flood, had seen the evilness, had seen the perversion, had seen everything, had learned. And, and even though he was saved from the judgment of God, he took it in his heart. He took what he learned and, and the evilness in his heart. And I'm going to show you by the word how it was through him that the Canaanites came. Now let's read it in chapter 9, verse. Let's start from... Chapter 16, look what it says. And the bow, the rainbow, shall be in the cloud, and I will look upon it, that I may remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is upon the earth. And God said to Noah, this is the token of the, gov of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh that is upon the earth. And the sons of Noah, look what it says, that went forth of the ark were three. There were Shem. Ham and Japheth. Now look what the Holy Spirit separates now. Now he says this. And Ham is the father of Canaan. Now you have to ask yourself, if Ham had many sons, why does the Holy Spirit allow this to be separate and say, and Ham was the father of Canaan. These are the three sons of Noah. Of them was the whole earth overspread. Now look what it says. And Noah began to be a husbandman, and he planted a vineyard. And he drank of the wine and was drunken. And then the Bible, look what it says. Something happened. It says, and he was uncovered within his tent. Now, whether Noah, we can debate whether Noah uncovered himself well, what I believe and what the rabbis believe is that someone uncovered him. Someone had a devious perversion plan to uncover Noah. And what the rabbis believe is that that person was Canaan. I'll tell you why. Ham, the father of Canaan, the Bible says, saw the nakedness of his father and went to tell his two brethren. Something happened. Ham, Ham had a son by the name of Canaan. Canaan was the grandson of Noah. The, the, the perversion in which he, he, that, that Ham had, he taught it unto his son because we, we, we see that perhaps it was his son who uncovered the nakedness of his grandfather Noah. With what intentions, I don't know, but something could have happened so bad that now Ham wants to involve Shem and Japheth in his sin. And he calls his brothers to go see the nakedness, but his brothers who knew better, the Bible says they went with the sheep backwards and covered their son. And look what happens. And Ham, Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it upon their shoulders and went backward and covered the nakedness of their father. And their faces were backward and they saw not their father's nakedness. And when Noah woke, awoke from his wine and knew what his younger son had done unto him. Look what he says. He said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be 
unto his brethren. From that moment on, the Canaanites were cursed. And we see throughout time that it gets worse and worse and worse until we get to the days of Abraham where the Canaanites were so out there. We're going to go into some specifics. He was so out there that, that, that Abraham had to say, whatever you do, do not allow him to, my son to marry one of these Canaanite women. We see what happened in the book of Joshua. When God gave them the land, when you, when you read, go to Joshua real quick, to Joshua chapter 9. Joshua chap, chapter 9. Look, look what the Lord commanded to them. He said in Joshua chapter 9. I'm sorry. Joshua chapter 3. Verse 9 and 10. Look what happened. This is just so you can get an insight of who these Canaanites. And Joshua said unto the children of Israel, come hither. And hear the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, Hereby you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will without fail, look what he says here, drive out before you, who? The who? The Canaanites, right? The Canaanites and the Hittites and the Hivites and the Perizzites and the Girgashites and the Amorites and now the Jebusites and all the ites that exist. He says, I will drive out from before you the Canaanites. God had promised them the land of Canaan where milk and honey flood. He says, and I will drive them out. But then go now go to chapter 23, verse 12 of Joshua. But he tells them and warns them this. Okay. We're going to get somewhere today. In verse 11, he says, take heed therefore unto yourselves that you love the Lord your God. Or else, if you do in any wise, go back. Now, let's, 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 let's see what it says. And you cleave unto the remnant of these nations. Even these that remain among you and shall make marriages with them. Now, you know what Abraham said. You're not going to marry a Canaanite. Because there was, God had warned him, you shall not make marriages with them, you shall not go into them, and they to you. He says, but if you do, know for a certainty that the Lord your God will no more drive out any of these nations before you. But they shall be snares, talking about the Canaanites, and traps unto you, and scourges in your sides, and thorns in your eyes, until you perish from off this good land which the Lord your God hath given you. He was giving them a warning. He says, I will drive them out, but if you cleave, if you cling, right, the Canaanites, a type of the flesh, if you cling to them, if you, that they shall be a snare. What is a snare? A snare, it's an entrapment. It is a net. It is a trap that is used to trap prey. He says, if you cling unto them, if you cleave, they shall be a snare to you. They shall be a trap to you. A trap here gives the idea of a hook that is put on the nose of people when they are taken. He says, they shall be a scourge. In other words, they shall pierce you. And we see how in the book of Judges, when you read from chapter 1, how every tribe of Israel who was trying to possess the land, they could not drive the Canaanites out of their land. 
they thought, well, at least we can tax them. <laughs> and many times the Canaanites, they, they fought back and, and they remained in the land and they became a snare to Israel. Now, this is what I want to go just for a few minutes with me. Go back to chapter 24 of the book of Genesis. The, the rabbis teach that after this that happened, when, when, when Canaan was cursed and Ham, where Canaan was the, the son of Ham, was cursed for seeing the nakedness, and I don't know what they did, they began to teach something to their children. That's what I want to speak to you about five Things that they taught their children. Five principles that the Canaanites taught their people. And I'm going to go with number one. They say that the Can Canaan taught his children, number one, to love one another. Now this sounds good, right? The Bible calls us what? To what? Love one another. But the love that Canaan taught his children to have one another, it wasn't as the Bible teaches to love your enemies, to love those, even those that do you wrong. It's to love just amongst yourselves. What he taught his children was a selfish love, was a, and we're going to get into what that means, was a selfish love of just me. Just take care of your own and nothing. Look out for only your own. Number two, they taught their children to love robbery. What does that mean? It means to do whatever it takes to possess, to take, no matter what means you have to bring. To, to, and, and so they loved robbery. Number three, a principle they taught their, their children was to love lewdness. And you could include every thing, uh, every perversion that you can think of. They, they were that way to live their lives, to love lewdness, to love immorality, to love to do these things, and, one, and I'll show you now. And number four, he says, to hate your masters. Have no respect to your masters. Oppose them. When Israel would try to drive them out, sometimes they would oppose them with chariots. And so Israel would say, ah, we can't drive them out. We'll just let them be right there in the valley. Sometimes Israel, they were able to get them out of the mountains, but they left others in the valley. That's the type of the, of, of, of the struggles that we have inside, that just because God sets us free from something, there's still other things in our lives that he wants, to, he, wants to, he wants to deliver us. He wants to drive out. And number five, they taught their children never to speak the truth. Five things. Love one another. Love robbery. Love lewdness. Hate your masters. Never speak the truth. By the time where we are at the story where Abraham is living among them, it was at an all-time high, the perversion and the way these Canaanites live. And what I believe what the Lord is teaching us is that he has given us a, 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 a picture of what is taking place in this hour. I want you to go with me for a moment. We're going to make a comparison with 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 to 3. Let's read it. In 2 Timothy... Chapter 3. Paul would warn Timothy, he said, Know this also that in the last days, perilous times. I, I want to just define what the word perilous means. The word perilous means that it's the idea of reducing the strength. 
Paul is telling us that the days that are upon us are so bad and so wicked that it's going to reduce the strength of many Christians, of many believers. He says, there, in the last days there shall be perilous times shall come. And then he begins to give a list of things, of characteristics of these people. He says, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to persons, unthankful and unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fears, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. What do you see here? Wrapped in in all of this is really the culture of the, what, that the Canaanites created in the times of Abraham and the times of Israel. For example, they taught love one another. In these last days, what, it says men shall be what? Lovers of what? Of their own selves. What does that mean? It's to be lovers of themselves is there's a generation that will be fond of self. Too intent on one's interest. He said they would be covetous. That speaks, that speaks about the Canaanite culture. They loved one another again. What is to be covetous? It's to be greedy, extreme greed for wealth, loving money. He said in the last days there would be boasters. Boasters. People, people that, 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 that brag but that are empty pretenders. They would be proud people. They're appearing above others, blasphemers. They were speaking evil, slanderers. Look what it says here. Disobedient to parents. Remember the Canaanites, they taught their children to hate their masters, right? Let me speak a little bit about what that means, disobedient to parents. We as parents use that verse to say, you see, you're not listening. You're being disobedient to me. Well, that's not what it's talking about. It's talking, for, it's talking about something more sinister than that. It means that there was going to be a generation in these last days of young people, of children, that what that means, disobedient to the parents, means that they are unpersuadable. I want you to think about that for a moment. A generation who has made up their mind this is not more than, well, I disagree with your dad. I disagree with you. I'm going to do whatever. No. A generation that has made up their mind that they will not do, they will do the opposite of what society or, or what the Bible says. There are people that are unpersuadable who have entered a place in their lives where they can no longer get the, the advice uh, that, that, that they become basically a, a, a reprobate mind. This is the times that we are living. These are the perilous times. Why are there perilous times? Because we are living in the midst of people that are boasters, blasphemers, proud, disobedient. They're unpersuadable. A wickedness that, that literally that if, 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 if you have any sense of what you do, of God inside of you, it burdens you. It, 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 it weakens you. You know, when I as a pa parent have to think also as a human being and what type of people my children are going to face in their schools and wherever they go. And when I think about it, I, I, I know where I'm going. I know I can take care of myself. At least I can try to do it. But what about my children? 
but a generation that has gone astray. That's what Abraham saw. That's what Abraham saw amongst them when he saw the Canaanites. I said, God, he, he, there was an urgency, God, in, in him. And he called his son. He goes, I only have a few, maybe a few months to live. You got to go back to my place because I can't. I'm too old to ride and go find a wife out of my, out of my kindred for my son. But he cannot marry one of these. You see, Abraham probably thought, if I die, my servant will probably just find a wife from amongst the Canaanites. But I said, no. See, we know that we are living in the last days because what? Iniquity is, is upon us. And iniquity, a perverseness of, of, of so dire here in our nation that it is, it is frightening. It weakens you as a human being. It weakens you. Yes, I pray. Yes, but it weakens you to know what is ahead of us. says, unthankful, unholy. You know what unho unholy means? Unholy doesn't mean it's not somebody who doesn't pray much. No, unholy means wicked. Wicked. He says, without natural affection. You know what that means? It's to have a hard heart towards one's kindred. You notice today how many young people today hate their parents? Hate them so much that some of them even kill their parents. There's no relationship. There, there, there is not a natural affection towards, at least, you know, you understood as bad as, you know, those that are older than me. Uh, you understand at least that when you rebelled against your parents, you, you loved your parents. You had a type of respect for them. But today's generation today hates their parents. Today's generation today does not have a natural affection. You know, I can see my boys argue. You know, Jeremiah, he's, he's a perfect son, but he, he never bothered. But sometimes, you know, the devil will get inside of him, which is every day, and he'll begin to antagonize his brothers and sisters, and he will not stop until he breaks them down and cry. No, he's good at it. <laughs> And I know they fight, leave me alone, don't touch me. And I'm like, don't say that to, don't, no, respect, that's your brother. No, respect, that's your little brother, that's your little sister. But I know that at the end of the day, they love each other. There is, there is a natural affection. There is a godly love amongst them. And let me just make a pause here to speak to you about something that is very practical, but that is missing in families today. We as parents create the atmosphere for our children to grow in a godly home. And it starts with the husband. That's the order of God, the head of the house. And which way are we going to go? Do we have a natural affection towards our wives, our children? We create an atmosphere when our lives and our actions and, and what we do, we set the course for our kids to see the examples that we will set before them. And many times we can get so busy in, in, in movies and, and doing this or so busy at work and we forget that the most important thing after our wives as husbands is our children it is going to be needful more than ever before for there to be 
gathering, not, not once a month, almost on a daily basis, to gather with your children and speak the oracles of God and tell them these are the days. Why? Because we have an enemy that is relentless. We, and, but, but see, when you understand your purpose, as, as it was preached this week, when you understand your purpose in this world as a believer, I know that I've been put here to destroy the works of the devil and to, and to set a course for my children to fight this war that has already been won. But we still have a gospel to preach that we are going to be opposed. And it is our responsibility to create an atmosphere within our children to deposit what God is depositing in you. That's why it's so important to have a personal relationship with God. And he speaks to you. And out of that reservoir, you can pour into your wife. You can pour into your children. But it's a sacrifice. And that means sometimes you even have to sacrifice your own fun time, your own free time, because sometimes life can get crazy. Especially when you have a one-year-old and a 17-year-old, and in between, that can get hectic. <laughs> it's hectic. It's not easy. What did Abraham see? What did he witness that caused him that in the end of these days he said, you got to find a bride for my son, for my kindred. Do not bring him from there. Look what he says. He says, there shall be truce breakers. A, a truce breaker is more than a covenant breaker. You know what a truce breaker is? Look at this, the evilness that exists today. A truce breaker is one that is without a treaty or covenant. In other words, Paul was telling to me that there's going to be a generation that you will not be able to persuade to enter into a covenant with God. Does that make sense to you? That's what we read in, in Psalms, right? A few months, uh, last year when Brother Marty brought it out in, in Psalms chapter 1 of, 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 I think it's chapter 2, where he says, break asunder those chains. And what is those chains? See, God, as long as, as the word is being preached, there is a word that, that stops this world from going crazy. And they're saying, let us loose from the morality of God. Let us loose from our conscience. Let us loose from the word of God. Get, get rid of the Bibles. Get rid of the preachers. And, and, and let us do whatever we want. And God is warning us that there is a, a, a generation that is going to arise in this hour that are truth breakers. What does that mean? They not, will not enter into covenant. They cannot be persuaded. They are saying, God, they're putting like this generation is putting their fists to God. We want nothing to do with you. We don't want your Christianity. We don't want your morality. There is no covenant between you and I. It's scary to think when the Bible says that the devil is going to be made, it's going to be let loose for a season. Where the Bible says that God himself is going to give him into a delusion. Where God finally says, all right, that's what you want. You're going to see a world that you've never seen. See, Abraham could not enter in covenant with the Canaanites. He knew 
their hearts, their motives. He made no truce with them. He lived among them. But he, see, it was contrary to Lot. Remember what the, what the Bible says about Lot in, in the book of Second Peter where it says that Lot was, was affected by the lifestyle of the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. His spirit grieved. His spirit was, he was turning almost to them. On the other hand, the Bible doesn't say that about Abraham. The Bible says that Abraham was a friend of God, that Abraham was in covenant with God, that Abraham, and even though he lived amongst the Canaanites, he, he continued to serve God, and he knew something. He says, my son will not marry one of these Canaanite women. He could not enter into covenant. The Bible doesn't say that. The, 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 he didn't even make any truce with them. He said, no, 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 no. I cannot cleave or give the door or give these Canaanites one open door to enter into the covenant that I have with God because they can mess it up. It would have been easy to get one of these Canaanite women. Who would not want to marry Isaac? He had everything. But God said that the covenant was not between them. It was between him and God and all his seed. That's speaking about you. That is speaking about me. We are his seed. It is so, it is so, it is so powerful what God is asking of us today. He is calling us to a consecration, to be holy. He is telling you, wake up church, you know, cut all ties with the world. Cut all ties with those things of the flesh, with those Canaanites in your woman. Because if you don't, I will not drive him out. And eventually those things will kill you. Almost done. Shall be false accusers. It's interesting that the root word, the, 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 the root Greek word for, for slander is diablos. Diablos in Spanish is the word for Satan, diablo. And what does that mean? It means like Satan, a slander accusing falsely someone who opposes the cause of God. When the Bible, when, when Paul tells Timothy that there would be many who are false accusers, he, what he's saying is this. He's saying, it's not just somebody who lies on you and says, uh, you wore a blue, uh, blue jacket, but it was really black, blah, blah, blah. No, it's talking about a people that is going to oppose God. Don't be surprised that soon they're going to take our Bibles from us. Or they're going to omit the parts. They're already doing it. Omitting parts of the Bible that says homosexuality is a sin. Idolatry is a sin. They're going to remove those things from the word of God. They will slander. They will, they will, they will falsely accuse Christians of, of being against the times. Incontinent, without self-control, fierce. In other words, savage despisers of those that are good, hostile to, to vir, hostile to virtue, opposed to goodness and good man, traitors, which is a betrayer, heady. Heady means to fall forward, headlong, sloping. High-minded means to envelop with smoke, to raise a false alarm. Raise a smoke to be lifted up with pride. Lover of pleasures more than lovers of God. Self, you know, uh, that's self-explanatory. Loving pleasures more than love of God. Having a form of godliness. 
but having no reverence, respect towards God. The story of Abraham and finding a wife from his kindred is telling us, Abraham was telling us, I saw something so evil, so wicked around me. These Canaanites that I had to make a desperate plea to my servant, do not have my son marry one of these women. That is a warning to us today. See, the sanctification that God is calling us to is one from, 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 from within. There are parts, you know, when, when the Bible speaks in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse, I think, 4, 5, or 6, where it says, for the pulling down of strongholds. Let's go there, 2 Corinthians, and I'm done. For the pulling down of strongholds. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Casting down, it says, for, it says, verse 4, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God, to the pulling down of strongholds, to the casting down imaginations, and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God, and bring it into captivity through the obedience of Christ. I want to leave you with this today. There is a struggle that, 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 lies within us, and more specifically, that lies within our mind. I want to leave you with this. The battle that is raging between our mind, all of us have a brain. It doesn't mean that we all use it, but we all do have a brain. Amen? Amen. Within that brain is, is our mind. Our mind is, is, is the carrier of all your thoughts. And see, that's very dangerous. You got to understand where are those thoughts coming from. If we're not in the word of God, then it'll be thoughts that you are making up yourself. We don't understand that we are a thought factory. And many times we attribute things that God said that God did not say. Or we attribute things and say, well, this person is against me when it's not the truth, that he's not against you sometimes. But we begin to fabricate things, and, and it's so dangerous. That's why the Bible talks about having the mind of Christ, having the mind of Christ to think according to the word of God. Because if it's not the mind of Christ, then it is our own mind and our own flesh making up these thoughts. And then we, we create our own Christianity, a Christianity that we made up that is not according to the word of God. We have a brain. We have a mind. Inside our mind are our thoughts. Now check, now check this out. As a thought is birth, I mean, we are, our, our mind is continually full of thoughts. And then that's, when we be, that's where the danger comes, the fight is when we begin to reason. We're trying to reason. We're trying to find a reason why to do the things that we shouldn't be doing. We're trying to reason in our thoughts. We have our brain. We have our mind. We have our, our thoughts. And then we have what? And then our reasoning. If you're not connected to the word of God, your reasoning will always be to do what your flesh says. Things that may seem right, that may seem good, 
or not. But when you reason with the word of God, and whatever decision that we make, and how or what we're gonna what, what we're going to declare to somebody, or what we're gonna say, or how we are, when we begin to reason with the word of God, then the Bible says, after you reason, then you act what you will, what you decide to do. Your will is what you chose to do. Nobody forces you to do anything. And when you do your will, whatever it is, whatever your thoughts, whatever you reason to, if it's according to the word of God or it's according to your own flesh, either or, you're going to manifest your true agenda. You're going to manifest what's really in your heart. That's why it's so important for us, as God is calling us, is the renewing of the mind constantly because our mind will go so many places in so many ways. And, 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 and what they'll do is that they'll become strongholds and they'll become, imagine, that's what the Bible talks about, casting down uh, imaginations. What are those imaginations? What are those thoughts that we are thinking See, the way we do that, the way we conquer these things is very simple. Disobedience must be subjected unto the obedience of the word of God. Abraham saw many potential there, in, but he said, nope. God gave me, he made, he made a covenant with me. I must preserve, preserve the seed that he will give me. Doesn't matter how beautiful, how well off she is, or how well off she is, what it is, it's not godly. I see their lifestyle. Are you following what I'm telling you? I feel, I feel like I've been all over the place, but it's okay. The Canaanites, if you don't get rid of them, they will get rid of you. God had warned many times, He warned King Saul. He's, remember the prophet Samuel? He said, kill everything, leave nothing from the Amalekites. What did Saul do? He kept the good. And at the end of his life, it was an Amalekite that would kill King Saul. Sometimes our problem is that we, we're still clinging, whether to our past, we're still clinging to things that even though we're not controlled by them as we think, but as long as you keep cleaving, that's what the Bible says, do not cleave to those things. Do not cleave to those nations. Because they will be a thorn to you. They will be a scourge unto you. There's still things in our lives that, yes, God has helped us here, but there's other parts of the land within our hearts that we still have to conquer. The Holy Spirit today is looking for a bride. A bride after God's own heart. A bride that has separated itself from the world. A bride that is unique. A bride full of the Holy Spirit. A bride without spot or blemish. A bride that is radical, that says, no, I will not taint this dress. I will not, I will not taint this mind, God. I belong to you wholeheartedly. 
a bride. It's your responsibility to keep. We are the body of Christ. God is spirit. We are the body of Christ. So much pollution. We read about the last days of what is going to take place and, 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 and all the things that this wickedness that Abraham saw, the wickedness. We must be able to see the times that we are living and know what to do and be ye separate, says the Lord. Take care of our families. Take care of your children. We are in a war. We are in a fight. At the end of his life, Abraham said, the last request I have is, find a wife out of my kindred for my son. See, that's, son, if you could help me out, that is what is in the Father's house today. You want to know what's in the Father's heart? He knows that time is about to be done away with. He summoned the Holy Spirit to prepare a bride for his son, Jesus Christ, our heavenly Isaac. That's you and that's me. Would you stand up, please? God is preparing us. He's speaking to us. I must confess before you and admit to you that there are still things in my life that God has to drive out. Many times we try to hold on to old customs, old traditions and things. And, or sometimes, even as a parent, I don't know if it ever happens to you, you might even think, man, am I being too strict with my children? Am I being too extreme with them? There are things in our lives that God still is dealing with us. And I think that's a lie from, by the way, I think it's a lie from the enemy when he tells me that that's a lie. I'm not being extreme. I'm going what the word of God says. This will take precedent over anything. But men of God, we need to keep our, we need to keep our houses in order. The future and the destiny of our children lies in us. The Bible says man shall subject himself unto God. The woman is to subject herself to the man as he subjects himself to God. Does that make sense to you? I hope, I pray that there's no feminist here today. Amen. That's going to beat me up after. But I said, as the man submits to God. 
Maybe there's things in your lives and you feel that there's God is dealing with you maybe about certain things. It could be about anything. It could be about music. It could be about the internet. It could be about how much time you spend on your phone. It could be so many things. Sister Debbie has spoken about some of these things and it's, and it's so true how much we waste our time on our phones. It's, and, and that takes away from your relationship with God. We become so dependent upon it. There's things in my lives and you got to examine yourself today and say, Lord, you know, you know me better than I even know myself, God. But what God is requiring of his people is much more serious than what we think. I, I don't think I can express that much better. There's, it's much more serious the call of that he's making to us. We cannot go back from the mountain down back to our old routines God, something has taken place in this hour. We cannot go back to the same thing. You have to begin to think, what am I going to do when I get back? What are the things that, what are the, what things am I wasting my time in? What can I, what things can I invest with my children in my walk with God? What, what things can I do? But this is a serious walk, church, because we are in a war. The Canaanites, they'll fight you. As long as you cleave to them, as long as you, 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 as long as you, 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 you don't separate yourself, they will come and they will haunt you and they will get you and they will kill you if you don't drive them out. You see, yes, God has given us the land. Yes, he says, I've given you the land. And we like to sing, oh, hallelujah. Oh, the walls of Jericho, when they shouted, went down. But let me tell you, the victory came before that. It was their obedience unto the word of God. Just because God says, I'll give you the land, well, it's not just about you going to possess. Before you possess the land, you, well, as you possess the land, you got to what? Drive out those Canaanites. And that's the mistake that Israel did. You think, see, we're like the Israelites. You know, we think just because ah, I got them under control, I'm taxing them. That's funny. You're taxing them, right? You think you got under control. See, I don't cuss like that. I don't do this like, so I can do this and that. I got I got, I'm taxing them. I'm in control. Yet these Canaanites are the very ones who influence them. Oh, you know, well, at least I got rid of most of it. I got rid of most of those things in my phone or most of these things or most of that. And we think we got it, man. I'm doing such a great job in my Christian walk with God. No, no. God said, you got to drive everything out. We got to surrender everything, church. I'm preaching to myself first before I preach to you. We must be willing. See, God, the world will say, give me your best. God says, give me everything. What have we not surrendered? You know that we can even be, we can even idolize our own children or our wives or husbands and not even know it. That's a sin. Anything that goes before God, that goes between me and God, it's, it's, you know, it's, we don't understand it, we don't realize it. I'm done church, but... There's a discernment that is needed in this hour that the church lacks. Abraham 
had such a strong bond and relationship with God that the, God would call him and say he is a friend of God, that he, under, he could discern quickly what could potentially happen. Remember what Brother Marty's been talking about, of, 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 of preparing yourself? He could have just died. He was prospered. He had all things. He had the promised son. He could have just kicked back and left that responsibility. I'm too old. I'm too tired to go look. No, 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 no. He said he saw the potential danger. So he brought his servant and he says, you go find my son a wife from my kindred. Am I making sense to you? We need to discern. Looking far ahead the dangers and the traps that the decisions that we make. I'm telling you because I made some stupid decisions that, excuse me for the word, but some ignorant decisions, not ignorant. I did them willfully that potentially could have cost my family. When we don't seek. I'm so grateful, God. You have kept me. You have kept our children, our marriage. It's not because of me. It's because of your grace. Give us discernment. Praise the Lord. God bless you. I know time has gone. If you want to take some time, you want to pray. Once again, we'd like to thank you so much for tuning in to today's message. Now, don't forget to subscribe for the latest message. And I encourage you, if these messages have impacted you, feel free to share them with those who the Lord puts on your heart. As we feel blessed and honored to share all the amazing things God has done in our ministry with you. If you would like more information about our ministry or you would like to give, you can visit us at www.worldharvestministries.net. Thank you so much for your prayers and support. And as we say here at World Harvest Ministries, keep looking up. God bless. I fly on.